morning we're, we're moving on to our fourth core value in this series. It's the last of our four core values. Uh, and it's the value of joining. If you didn't grab one of these uh, reflection guides, discussion guides, let me encourage you to also get one of those before you leave today. There are some passages of scripture to reflect on here. There are things to discuss in a group setting or, or just for your own reflection. And again, there are some particular practices um, to help you get those things going um, kind of in your, in your day-to-day life. So we move into this fourth practice uh, or, or value of joining. Let's start by asking a question. Because I think it helps frame this value pretty well. The question is, where do you think God is at work this morning? When you think about the activity of God, right? We're, we're people who believe God is living and active What places do you think of God's activity? Where is God working? What what places specifically come into your minds? And whatever those those areas or places are, I want me to hold on to those thoughts for a minute and and then see kind of maybe how they match up. Every so often, we, we travel out of you know, rural or semi-rural Vermont, and we'll go to big city space somewhere. And I'll be at a, a supermarket or sometimes at a shopping complex that has uh, grocery carts or, or shopping carts, just like the ones we use here. But occasionally, near the edge of the parking lot, I'll notice there are a handful of carts that have sort of been abandoned, left behind. And if you go to, to pick them up, they don't, they don't move. The wheels are all jammed up, making them pretty useless. And that's because in certain urban areas where there's a high enough density that, that people might actually live close enough to the places they shop to, to walk there, some businesses will install these special mechanisms in shopping carts that when you cross the edge of the parking lot, there's a a wireless signal underground, and it trips a mechanism in the wheels, and it causes them to seize up and to freeze. And, and so this useful piece of equipment, this shopping cart that works great in the shopping center, works great to get you out to your car, suddenly becomes worthless if you go too far from, from the place of business. These carts are specially engineered to work really well in one highly defined space. But outside of that, they are mostly practically useless. I share that as as a mental image or a a metaphor for what I, I wonder if sometimes my assumptions about how and where God works resembles these shopping carts. I know I have experience of God working in here. We share in worship experience together on Sunday morning. I know God works in my, my quiet time, in my prayer life, in the conversations I have with him at an interior level. Maybe I see and can witness God working in small groups and Bible studies that I'm a part of. 
But sometimes I think there can be this sneaking suspicion, this, this concern that maybe if you go a little further beyond the edges of our parking lot, a little further outside of kind of our, our normal spiritual places of experience, that the wheels of our faith, the ability for God to work and bring transformation and life, Maybe it, it seizes up somehow. I think we, we've all experienced that, that out there in the, in the real world, in the world of our everyday lives, in and among our neighbors and in our places of work. Right? Sometimes we, we sense a greater sort of spiritual resistance. Maybe it feels harder to push those wheels forward. And we can maybe intuit or begin to absorb that the Christian life, that our center of gravity is is really more engineered to keep us here, to function here, to function in this place. But I wonder, is that an accurate parable of what the kingdom of God is really like? I doubt many of us would say we believe that. Right? We, we know intellectually, we know theologically that, that the whole of creation is God's possession. But often my experience is that my, my spiritual center of gravity, my instinct is to look for God working closer to home. And that when I go out there, it's almost like I sort of code switch into a different mindset, a different set of expectations, a different set of, of ideas about where and how God might show up. And so this morning, as we move into this fourth core value, the value of joining, it's a value that I think comes from my need, and I think it comes from our need collectively as a church to be reminded about who God is and where he actually desires and does work constantly. It's a value that's meant to to pull us out beyond our own parking lots and to discover where God is in mission. And the wonderful discovery that, that we make as we begin to prize and as we begin to live out of this core value is that God is actively at work doing incredible things in unexpected places. And he desires for us to join him. So let me share with you this value that um, our discovery team has worked on, and this is, this is how we've tried to summarize it. We value joining God's mission to share his renewing love, life, and truth alongside our neighbors. And we are committed to learning how to bless our neighbors both locally and globally. The past month and a half, we've talked about the the first three core values, belonging, following, and growing. And in many ways, they they express how we are drawn into the family of God, how we're drawn into a deeper relationship with Jesus the Son, how the Spirit does this, this deep inner work in us to bring about transformation and growth. But this fourth and final core value is one that's intentionally been selected to help us draw out, to be led out 
to see where God is working. The great 20th century theologian John Stott, a person who was passionate about the global church, was fond of preaching. One of his most sort of uh, constant messages he would give was entitled, God is a missionary God. And he would often say, God is a missionary kind of God before we are ever a missionary kind of church. And what, what John Stott meant by that is that, that he believed God was actively working in every corner of creation to draw all things into the, the saving life, into the saving power of Christ Jesus. And that means that God is actually active and at work in, in every place we could possibly go. And he's there working even before you and I turn up. Even before you and I say or do anything, God and his spirit are, are at work in our world. But the great thing is that when we do turn up, when we do show up, when we come into proximity with other people and places, we are invited to be witnesses to what God is up to. And even to get to participate in the work of God's renewing love. Kind of like what happened here this morning. as We were cheering cheering everybody on. As we join God in his mission, his gospel begins to grow in the places we live. His gospel begins to grow in the places we work. His gospel grows in our neighborhoods. And his gospel even grows back here in our sanctuary, in our places of worship. Help us get a, get a vision for, for some of the ways that God does this work in our world. We've selected the, the 37th Psalm this morning to help us. And in just a few minutes, I'm going to ask Sarah Cordemont, who's a deacon and also a member of our discovery team, to share some of her reflections, particularly on this passage, because they've been, been deeply formative for her and her family. But as we open up to Psalm 37, what I appreciate here is how David acknowledges the same struggle or, or challenge that we face. He acknowledges in this psalm that we live in a, in a broken world and sometimes we don't always see where God is at work or how he's at work out there. We wonder what God is doing. But what helps him in this particular psalm work through that dilemma of, of where God's working and how God's working are a series of commands that, that he is choosing to live his life under and through. A series of commands and practices about how we join our minds and our bodies and our actions and our lives to the ways that God himself has begun to work and chosen to work. So let me pray for us as we open up to these verses in Psalm 37. Lord, we know that the world in which we live belongs to you. We know you are a God far bigger than our understanding and estimations. But Lord, we, we need your spirit to draw us forward, not just individually, but together with each other, to discover the joy, the playfulness, 
the life that comes from when we begin to, to join where you are at work, and to love the things you love, and to see you put broken things back together. Lord, I pray that as your word is preached, Lord, as, as we receive and meditate upon these words, that it would be pleasing in your sight. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you're, if you're looking at Psalm 37, what you might not see in the text of your, your Bible is that the, the psalm when David wrote it was intentionally laid out into 22 stanzas. And that's because the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. So when David wrote this, this psalm, he intentionally started every next stanza with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And that was so that it was easier to memorize. And in particular, the, the beginning of each of those verses, especially at the beginning of the psalm, start with commands so that we might memorize and we might fix our attention on those opening words of the stanza. This morning we're going to just look at the first three of those stanzas. And they cover the Hebrew letters Aleph, Beit, and Gimel. But I want you to, to pay special attention to those, those command lines at the beginning. Because I think they're a clue to us about how we begin to, to start practicing and joining with God in his mission in the world. So let me start with uh, verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to hand off to Sarah, and she's going to share more about verses 3 through 6. David writes, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. And that might seem like an unusual place to to start a psalm about how we join God in the world, join God in mission. It's a, it's a negative command, right? Verse 1 in, in Hebrew begins with aleph. It begins with the, the phrase al-chara, which means do not be angry. Or more kind of literally, do not smolder, do not burn with anger. Particularly, do not burn with anger because of those you witness doing evil. And in Hebrew, the, the idea of, of evil is deeply attached to the idea of brokenness. In Hebrew, the idea of, of evil is, is to take that which is good and beautiful and, and wonderful and full of life and then to break it into pieces and make it useless, to degrade it. And it's kind of a natural response, right? If you have something good and beautiful and full of life and it gets broken, it's naturally to become angry at what takes place. Think about when someone offends your sense of justice or personal space or or rightness of something. How does your body respond to that offense? Right, our pulse typically rises. Maybe your muscles get tense. Maybe you find yourself, you know, a half an hour later still physically worked up about some some injustice or, or, or some personal uh, lack of, of, of recognition of, of what you needed or desired or what was good in a particular situation. Right? The recognition that we live in a broken world can, can smolder within us. It can burn within us. 
But what David begins this psalm by telling us is both a recognition that there is brokenness, there is evil, there is injustice in our world, but how we respond to it matters, and particularly how we respond to it as God's people matters. He says in verse 1, if we allow that brokenness to become our primary focus, right, that can begin to infect us as people. And it can, can lead us over time, if it's sustained, into despair. can lead us into envy, even. Or it could feed a kind of us versus them dynamic. Us, the people of God. Us, the righteous. Them, the evildoer. Walls us off from what God is actually doing. So at the end of this, this stanza in verse 2, Dave, David asks us, invites us to take a step back and to consider things from the vantage point of God himself. And he says there at the end of verse 2 that God sees that those who do evil, those who practice evil, those who, who plant themselves upon on ways of, of unjust ways of doing things, they're not actually as stable. They're not actually as rooted. They're not actually as prosperous as we think they are. He says, actually, this kind of brokenness and injustice has a, a, a shallow root bed. They have a short growing season, the way God has designed things. He says, like grass, they will soon wither. But as people of God, as people made in the image of God, he also knows that we hunger for things of permanence. We hunger for for our lives to participate in something that endures and is lasting and bears good fruit. And so after this initial command to to not allow evil to separate us from God's world or, or wall us off or cause us to withdraw, then David follows with a series of affirmative commands, verses 3 through 6. I want to invite Sarah to come up now. She's been part, again, of this discovery team that's worked on these core values and, in particular, helped us think about this value of joining. She's going to to share some of the ways this psalm has challenged her and her family to practice and, and join and grow with God in mission in the place they've been planted. Go ahead, Sarah. Thanks for coming this morning. So a couple weeks ago, you got to hear from my husband, Ben, share about his work with the Navigators, and I am also on staff with the Navigators, but in a part-time capacity, or volunteer, volunteer capacity. And I like to say, Ben is full-time with the Navigators, and that allows me to come in and out um, of that work as I'm able to and want to, and I am full-time in our community, among the church, developing and caring for our kids, relating with our neighbors, being invested in the schools, And my involvement there allows Ben to come in and out of those arenas as he is able to. You know, we both contribute significant amounts of effort in those areas, which blesses and creates inroads for the other. And I love this arrangement, actually. I love being in our community and knowing and relating with our neighbors. I love having kids over to play, being a place that they can stop by if they get locked out of their house if they're in trouble. I love being at home and creating a place of peace for others to enter into. I love the relationships that develop over long periods of time in the same place. 
through frequent touch points at the bus stop or in serving together at our kids' school, in wrestling through political differences and similarities as we walk through multiple elections, or in walking alongside one another as the sorrows and difficulties of life shape us and reveal us. And this passage, Psalm 37, which I think is still up there, has been so instructive for me as I live life in this place and as I walk with God through the various seasons of life. In my first year of parenthood, I read the first eight verses of this passage daily. My mind, my mind was like hamburger. I was so tired, and so I would just read these eight verses again and again as I was nursing or just in the midst, and they provided vision for my life, and it was like a to-do list for my soul. This is what I want to apply my energies and my life to as I walk with God in this place. Um, and so Dave, Dave already read verses one and two, and um, so I'm just going to read verses three, actually through seven. Just listen to these. Instead of fretting, apply your heart, your energies to these things. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as a light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. And so I have lots of thoughts on these verses. It was hard for me to make a short talk. <laughs> but um, I think the main one, the, probably the, the verse that is just so central for me is verse 3, and that's the one I have the most thoughts on. Just trust in the Lord and do good. I want to dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. I think if I had a motto for my home, that is how I want to live. Um, I want to entrust myself to God day by day. Trust my desires, my longings, commit my way to him, start with him. I want to do good in the place that I am and seek its flourishing. I want to dwell in the land and be present right where I'm at and to the people right around me in the season of life I'm in. And I want to be a friend to faithfulness. That means I want to cultivate faithfulness to the people and to the place that God has placed me in over the long haul. So I encourage you to reflect on these verses this week as you walk through your neighborhood. I, I think actually Dave has that as one of the exercises on the sheet to consider, you know, what might it look like to trust God with these people in my workplace, in my spheres of influence, in my neighborhood, to do good in this place, to seek to build up and contribute to the flourishing and the welfare of these people what it might be, look like to be present and faithful to those around me, to not give up on people, but to commit myself to them and this place over the long haul. You know, when I, as I engage with others around me, um, you know, not many, it seems, look to God for instruction or hope for their lives. I think it is more common to to look to ourselves, to, to spouses, to our children, 
um, to their politics, to our, our careers, to offer a meaningful life. And I think we are all tempted by that, to look to other things other than God for a meaningful life. So the image that often comes to mind as I think and pray about the kingdom of God coming into this place is that of hard ground that has rarely been worked. You know, relationships take time to form, trust takes time to develop, and good questions asked in the midst of living life and loving one another are like a trowel that break up hard ground, allowing seeds to find a resting place. And our prayers are like the rain which fall on the soil, softening it and breaking down walls that have long been erected. And we are so dependent on God to act and for him to germinate the seeds and bring forth life and growth. So Dave asked me to share actually like practically what does this look like for me? And as I thought about it, I realized I think I have about five, five habits that I do regularly. And actually I think that many of you do these things also. For I've observed them and I've learned from you all as I've sought to apply this in my own life. I think a significant thing we do, first thing, is that we initiate relationship. I think it is unusual and surprising to be initiated towards or invited into something. And when I invite someone in, I feel like that is a way to bless and to be good news to others. When Ben and I moved into our house about 10 years ago, I just made it a practice to walk daily, sometimes with Ben, sometimes with my kids. And whenever I saw someone new outside, I would introduce myself and ask, my, ask them their name, and we just have a brief conversation. And I just do that every time I, I, I go out. Christian and Jess, my brother and sister-in-law, when they moved into their cul-de-sac several years ago, decided let's host a chili party, an outdoor chili party, and we're just gonna invite all our neighbors in the cul-de-sac. And so they made an invite, invited, and everyone came, like genuinely excited to be invited. And this chili party created an environment for people to meet one another and for some next door neighbors to meet one another after living to get side by side for decades. You know, it provided an environment for people to meet and to know one another. And it has become an annual thing and has opened the doors for neighbors to have a relationship with one another. And, then, and, um, and it's had ripple effects as others have sought to bless one another and reciprocate. So for you, when, who do you see regularly in your life whose name maybe you don't know or who you know little about at the grocery store, on your daily walk? What is one step you could take to move that relationship further? Maybe it's just saying, hey, I see you all the time. I feel like I should know your name. The second thing is I seek to enjoy my neighbors. I used to feel so much pressure to get in my Jesus commercial with those who didn't know Jesus or follow him. I don't know if you can relate to that. But that created some awkward conversations and resulted in people pulling away from me. And it's just not a normal way of relating with others. I don't talk with Ben and our kids about Jesus all the time. I do, we do talk about God a lot, but we also talk about the books that we're reading. We go on bike rides together. We're quiet together. We laugh at bodily sounds. That's like a normal thing in our house. But, 
But we, we find ways to enjoy each other. And we do the same with our neighbors and those in our communities. And I have come to love them and enjoy them as, our, as we've had playdates with our kids, as we've chatted around the bonfire, as we've shared garden tips. You know, and I, I just keep this in my mind. God is near to my neighbors, and he loves them. We may not believe the same thing, but they are made in the image of God, and they reflect him in various ways. They just don't know it yet. I don't enjoy my neighbors in order to convert them. I enjoy them because they are people made in the image of God, and they are worth being treated with dignity and respect, and I want them to know that. So who do you know that God wants you to move towards and relate with? And I wonder if it could just be as simple as those that respond relationally to you, who seem to actually like you and want to be with you. You know, what, what are the natural connection points in your community? It might be hunting, it might be sewing, gardening, beer making, the playground. And what are you interested in? I find like, when I, when I gather with others and we have those similar interests, it's, it's easy it's easy to enjoy one another and find lots of things to talk about. The third is I just seek to be present, present to others, present to God, and present to what he is doing in my life. And this takes space and time because I can't be running from one thing to the next. You know, often the best thing I offer to my neighbor is my unharried presence. To have space for a longer chat at the bus stop. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll choose to share some of the things that God is speaking to me about, just in learning to love my husband or being a, a more patient, being patient with my kids, um, or just working through grief. You know, when, when my dad died suddenly, I, I just invited a couple other moms I was getting to know to care for me and to know that. And, and they just asked me, like, how am I processing his death? And we just had... It was, really, it was a really enjoyable opportunity to just share how I was processing that and to be cared for and how Jesus, how Jesus really helped me so much process my dad's um, departure. You know, I think over time as relationships grow, it becomes natural to talk about the deeper and more meaningful aspects of our lives and the way that our faith informs those things. So in relationship with God and others, thanks, thanks, Sam. <laughs> where are you tempted to, be, to rush or be harried? You know, where could you create space on purpose each week to go slow with others, you know, to attend to God and just be paying attention to what he is doing in your own life? Often those things, people want to hear that. They're, they're thinking about, how do I love my spouse well, too? How do I grow in being a better parent? I want these. We want similar things. How do I deal with grief when someone dies? Um, the fourth habit is I have a few friends who I am pursuing Jesus deeply alongside. You know, I, I walk with Jesus personally, and I, and I worship with all of you weekly, and those are important habits. 
also important is having a few friends I gather with regularly who believe deeply that God is real and active and who believe that the scriptures are his words and that they are words of life to us. You know, together we remind ourselves of God and who he is, what he says. Together we challenge one another to live our lives as surrendered to his lordship. Together we feed on his faithfulness to us and to his people, and together we seek to love those around us. Who are you committing to walk closely with? Or who are you giving permission to both challenge you and to, to affirm you, to call out the good? We need both. And if you don't have that, is there someone um, that you know who you're like, I really, I really respect their walk with Jesus. I wonder if they would be interested in walking, pursuing um, spiritual friendship with me. Can we walk with Jesus closely together? And then the fifth habit is just I pray and I pray and I pray. I pray for God to move in this place. I ask his spirit to move over my community, awakening hearts and making people aware of his presence. I ponder conversations while I wash dishes or while I'm in the woods, considering where is he at work. God, where are you at work in this friend? Where are you at work in these people? And would you give me eyes to see that and creativity to, to, to know, like, how can I join you in what you're already doing? Because God is at work. You know, sometimes, sometimes I'll feel like, like God isn't. But then other times I'll be like, oh, my goodness. You know, I'll have a conversation with someone. I realize they've just jumped and how they're thinking about Jesus. And I think I used to think of faith that either people believed in Jesus or they didn't. It was like this switch. And they just needed the right conversation or the right gospel presentation to believe. But it's a much more of a process that we, people take time to change. And they go from no to yes through maybe. <laughs> I mean, that was my story. I met a couple of Christians that made me think, maybe there's more to Jesus than I thought, and I think I want to give him a closer look. And I want my life to prompt people to think that. Maybe there's more to Jesus than I thought. So who are the people that God has put on your heart to pray for? You know, for many that I've met, I often feel, I don't know that's actually true, but it feels like I'm their first Christian friend. You know, many I'm close to have not read the Bible. They don't really know many of the stories in the Bible. And they have vague ideas about who Jesus is and what he is like. I think God is most often thought of as a higher power who is present. Um, but I get the sense that he is thought of as distant and unknowable. And this makes Jesus amazing. Because he is the God who became near that we might know what he is like. We can know what God is like, and he is near to us. And we as his people get to follow Jesus in coming near to those around us and showing others what he is like. So I'd just like to, to pray for us, as, uh, just to close. <laughs> so God, we praise you who are sovereign, and in control of all things. 
Jesus, in you, all things hold together. You are faithful and righteous. You always do what is just and right. And you see the whole picture. You are not distant and unengaged, but you are deeply present. You are near and engaged with all that is occurring. And we trust you. And we trust you with ourselves. We trust you with our neighbors. Would your kingdom come more fully in this place? And would you use us as we are in our strengths and in our failings um, to walk with you in sowing the seeds of your kingdom, in breaking up the soil, in watering the earth? And would you bring up a harvest of righteousness? Would you, would you, would you make yourself present um, and real? to us and to those around us. Lord, and I pray for your people here, and I thank you for that you have drawn them and for the ways that you have wired them on purpose and uniquely, for all the people that they interact with in their day-to-day lives. God, and I ask that you would fill them afresh with your spirit today. Where people are weary, would you refresh them with your living water? Lord, where, where, we, where there is despair um, or doubt that you are real or that you are at work, would you rekindle hope? Where there are places that seem dead or dying within us, would you breathe your new life? God, we need you. We, we, we need you to help us persevere. Would you help us to abide in you, the true vine? Lord, we are the branches. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Would you, would you feed us with yourself? Would you give us what we need this day that we might go out as your people. Thank you that you help us in our weaknesses. To you be the glory and honor and power forever and ever. I ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.